A lot of people are excited. We've been waiting for this moment for almost a whole year. What's that, you ask? Well, this coming week, it's the Synod of Bishops on the theme of the family. You got it, the Synod on the Family. Last November, the Vatican released a preparatory document that included 38 questions on topics related to marriage and the family. Real down-to-earth topics, modern family problems like blended families, same-gender unions, contraception, divorce and remarriage, all hoping to get a real feedback from grassroots Catholics dealing with these very same issues. The responses were compiled into the working document that will guide the bishops' discussions during the Synod. It is very exciting. It is the very first time that the working document is a result of a worldwide grassroots survey. These are real issues that affect every Catholic. These are issues that for many Catholics have been make-it-or-break-it issues. So I think a lot of people will be watching this synod very closely. So let's start this new season of the Salt and Light Hour looking at the family. There's a synod this year and another one next year, both on the family. And next year in Philadelphia, there's the World Meeting of Families. And the Pope also just released the theme for next year's World Day of Social Communications, also about communicating the family. So this is going to be quite the year, a year to focus on marriage and the family. So how about all of us at home also focus on our marriages and our families? I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new season of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. This is season number six, and we're very excited because now we're airing in many places across the United States thanks to some great Catholic radio networks, the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, Holy Family Radio, and the Lamb Catholic Radio Network. A special hello to all of you listening through these partner radio stations and a reminder that if you listen to them often, you should send them your financial support. The world of Catholic Radio is very tough, but we do what we do because it makes a difference in your lives. So thank you for your support. Today we continue with our usual show format. Stefan Slovak will be here sitting in for Alicia Ambrosio, who's away getting married, and we're going to ask her about that next week. And Sheridan will join us to tell us about the project she's been working on that took her away from the Salt and Light Hour. It's a wonderful parish evangelization resource called The Church Alive, and she's offering a discount code, so you want to find out what that is. And of course, Andrew will be here with a saint of the week, and Jillian will tell us what she learned from sending her son to grade one. And in our second half hour, we'll be speaking with author and liturgical composer Ken Canedo about his book about the folk mass. Many remember the English music in the Catholic Church in North America in the 60s and 70s. Well, Ken's book is a must-read for all parish music. It's a must-read for not just musicians, for everyone. I'm very excited to be speaking with him today. That's in about half an hour. And afterwards, we're airing a conversation that I had with Father Robert Gallia during the summer. He was here in Canada, and so we had to speak to him while he was here. He'll tell us about his music, his travels, his youth program called Stronger, 
and the two new albums he's working on. So let's begin with one of Father Rob's songs. Here's his single, No Greater Love. was our featured artist of the week, Father Robert Gallia with No Greater Love. And we're going to be speaking with Father Rob in our second half hour. And in about five minutes, Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. But first, Stefan is here with our news. Thank you for uh, filling in for Alicia today, Stefan. Thank you for um, having me. You spent a, a great deal of time in Quebec this I was not in the summer. I guess the two weeks ago. Yeah, just just recently. Because yeah, there was September. tell us about that big celebration that 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 was taking place. Yeah, well, we were out there covering the 350th anniversary, the establishment of Notre Dame de Quebec. That's okay. the first parish in North America. Uh, from that parish was born every parish and diocese. Uh, north of what is today Mexico. So Quebec would have been the first diocese established in North America. Yes, but th- specifically the parish in this case. Okay. That then grew into the diocese and from there flourished the whole church in, in North America. Wow, so that was 350 years ago. Yeah, 350 years ago. So we had all the bishops of Canada attending. They were there uh, also for their annual plenary, but they also celebrated this enormous mass that happened in the cathedral in the center of the old city of Quebec. You also had bishops from the United States yeah. As well as the main celebrant, who was uh, Cardinal Jaime Ortega, the Archbishop from Havana, Cuba. Okay, so what what's the connection with the Cuban Cardinal? Well, he was sent as a papal representative on behalf of Pope uh. Francis, but the Cardinal also uh, was educated by uh, religious and priests from Quebec, missionaries, okay, I see. who then uh, encouraged him in his own studies to come do so in Quebec, which he did uh, as a uh, 
you know, as a seminarian. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's an important enough event. The Holy Father can't come, but he says it's important enough that I'll send a delegate or, or, or a papal representative. Now, um, last week, sorry, yeah, this past week, there was a big, uh, also a papal representative doing a major speech at the United Nations. Tell yes, in New that. York. Uh, Cardinal Perelin, the Secretary of State for yeah. Pope Francis, uh, gave an important speech. Every year, the world leaders, uh, most of them, come to the United Nations in New York, and okay. they make major speeches uh, to open the General Assembly. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the 69th year that that happened, and Cardinal Perelin spoke on behalf of Pope Francis. Okay. Um, he touched on the globalization of indifference, talking about how uh, second-class citizens are really not being able to enjoy a lot of the fruits of prosperity. Mm-hmm. But the real... Um, after that, he really moved into uh, what the media has picked up as the meat of his speeches uh, regarding the uh, situation regarding Iraq, Syria, okay. and uh, the rise of the self-proclaimed Islamic State there. Yes. So uh, he really got into uh, a lot of interesting political theory about the causes of terrorism and really attacked what a lot of people uh, spoke about post-September 11 as the uh-huh. uh, clash of civilizations, saying that you know we're not we don't have a clash of civilizations. You know, that really oversimplifies what's going on and really worsens uh, some people's interpretation mm-hmm. of the situation. And really, he said, it just kind of puts to the wastebasket um, what's often been a great history of uh, coexistence, good relations. And so the, really the hope is from the Holy See uh, as a as a state actor in the mm-hmm. world to really develop a religious and intercultural dialogue on the international stage, and let's to see that reflected in international law. Now, how much of what he says are actually Pope Francis's words? He's not reading a speech that Pope Francis wrote. Well, I, I don't know who put pen to paper, but yeah. in the beginning of his speech, he says, I'm here speaking in the name of Pope Francis. Really? He didn't come out and say, you know, I'm here today to talk to you. No, it was, I'm speaking on behalf of his Holy Father, the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Right. So can you just quickly explain what? why does the... Holy Father have a voice in the United Nations? Well, th- that is because the Holy See itself is an independent state uh-huh. in and of itself. Okay. So while the Holy See is not a member of the United Nations, they have permanent observer status. Okay. So that means that they can go, they can take part in the meetings, even Security Council meetings uh, involving major world events, they can sit in on those and sometimes contribute to those, but they're not a voting member and they're not bound by any decisions made by the United Nations. Okay, so quickly, next week is the Synod. Yes. Uh, Bishops, I've mentioned it already, but maybe kind of give us the the, the quick and dirty what we can expect next week. Yeah, well, this is going to be a major Synod. It is uh, not an ordinary Synod, but an extraordinary Synod. Okay. Uh, which there are synods planned every couple of years, but because of the importance of the topic, the family, mm-hmm. uh, Pope Francis is convening this extraordinary synod, uh, which will be actually prep for next so it's year's like pre synod. Essentially, yes, it's basically developing the uh, the document that'll that'll outline the uh, the main synod next year, where they'll really develop some some major, I guess you could say, policy pieces. So who goes to the Synod? You'll have representatives of uh, bishops' conferences from around the world, uh-huh. representatives of the Roman Curia, the Holy Father himself will be there. Yeah. But I believe you also have some lay people involved who've been selected uh, through the through the selection process in consultation with bishops yeah. around the world. So good. So they're going to be talking about all these really relevant topics to, I think, most Catholics. And we are going to be covering the Synod 
all week next week and the following week uh, on Salt and Light Television. And we'll also be bringing you updates here on this, this program, Salt and Light Hour. Uh, in fact, Sebastian Gomes is going to be on from Rome next week. So thank you, Stefan, for those updates. Um, you can watch Stefan Slovak and, and get the latest updates on his show Perspectives every day at Salt and Light TV and online at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Jackie Francois, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Jesus Pedro. Coming up, information on the series, The Church Alive, so stay tuned. You can podcast our show for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and you can tell us how much you like the show by emailing us at radio at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Andrew, a whole new season of the Salt and Light oh, Hour. Season, how do you feel? Uh, I don't know. It's it's season <laughs> it's number six. Exciting. Like uh, September and October are some of my favorite months. Not only do the leaves change colors. Yes. Um, not only is it like back to school and back to routine, but hey, Salt and Light Radio comes back to. Uh, back over the airwaves. So, I know, uh, really, I know. I'm really excited for a new year, it's and I hope you are too. Yes, I am. So we, and we have a new saint for the new yeah, year. Yeah, we do. Uh, well, I wouldn't say he's a new saint in the church, because people <laughs> will be like, hey, I know him. Everybody knows him. And uh, a little bit of a drum roll, please. Okay. Saturday, drum. October the 4th. Who do we look at? We look at St. Francesco of Assisi. St. Uh, Francis, Francis of Assisi. St. Francis of Assisi. One of my favorite, favorite all-time saints in the church. Okay. Um, I had the chance actually to be in Assisi last year, and let me tell you, what a special place that is. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel Francis um, everywhere you go, just, you know, as you, like, peruse through the streets, as you go through the shops, you could feel him, and uh, it was just an all-time, um, it was an all-time favorite memory for me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, here we go. Let's look at uh, Yes, look at tell us Francis. about him. So, uh, Francis of Assisi was a poor little man, okay? He is known as the poor little man of the church who inspired uh, the church by taking the gospel literally. And he actually did that by following all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did. So from the cross and the neglected field chapel of San Damiano, which I had the chance to see, yeah. uh, Christ told him, Francis, I want you to go out. I want you to build up my house because it's nearly falling down. I want you to rebuild the church. Mm-hmm. And Francis ultimately became the poor and humble workman. Like He got down to work and he away he went. So um, he gave up every material thing that he had. You know, we hear the story time and time again of people literally emptying themselves and getting in touch with their spirituality, but this is no different. He gave up everything that he had, piling even his clothes, okay, and uh, so that he would be totally free to say, you know, our Father in Heaven. Mm-hmm. So he was for a time considered to be a religious nut. People didn't take him seriously. Yeah. Uh, people thought he was just a whack job. But he went uh, begging from door to door when he could not get money for his work. So Francis's first rule for his followers, uh, we know, is a collection of texts from the Gospels. So he had no idea of founding an order. That was ultimately his end game. Uh, but once it began, he protected it, and he accepted kind of all the legality mm-hmm. that um, was needed to support it. So his devotion and loyalty to the Church was really, really incredible at that particular time in history, especially when there were a lot of fractions in the Church and people were kind of worried about Church unity. So he was torn between a life devoted to prayer and a life of active preaching of the Good News. It's, it's kind of similar, Deacon Pedro, to like our different religious communities in the Church. Mm-hmm. You know, some are more evangelical, some like to hit the ground running. I like to hit the ground running uh, in my journey. And then there are some who are more monastic yes. or contemplative. So he decided in favor of, of the latter. 
but uh, always returned to solitude when he did, when he when he could really. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be a missionary in Syria. Um, can you just imagine being a missionary in Syria today? Yeah, yeah no. Uh, no or in Africa, but yeah. uh, he was prevented by shipwreck, interestingly enough, and illness. So um, he did try to convert um, a few people in Egypt during the Fifth Crusade. Hmm. We know that. And during the last years of his relatively short life, he was half-blind and seriously ill. I didn't know that myself. I didn't realize that he was half-blind. Wow. Two years before his death, he received the famous stigmata. Huh. We know St. Padre Pio received the stigmata. Yes. And Francis received it as well. For our listeners who, don't, um, who may not know what the stigmata is, it basically is when a person physically takes on the real and painful wounds of Jesus Christ. Right. Whether in their hands in their feet or in their side. Right. On his deathbed, um, he said over and over and over again, the last addition to his Canticle of the Sun, hmm. be praised, O Lord, for our sister death. And it was on the evening of October the 3rd, uh, 1226, that year, that he sang Psalm 141. And uh, at the end, you know, he, uh, he retired. He gave up his, uh, his physical body, and he went home. He went to heaven uh, while singing Psalm 141, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, uh... St. Francis of Assisi. There you have it. Um, today we celebrate his feast day. And interestingly enough, a little bit of a local connection, uh, which I laugh um, about <laughs> a lot here at the parish. Uh, blessing of animals here today at the church yes. in uh, Unionville, up here in uh, just north of Toronto. So parishioners, um, young, old, uh, lots of families bringing out their animals to the church for a blessing. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure it's happening at my parish, and it happens, I'm sure, in parishes all over. So that's St. Francis, feast date today, October 4th. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Andrew Santos is a youth minister at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Unionville, Ontario, and he is our saint expert. Hi, I'm Mark Mallet, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with your great host, Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash slradio1. And you can also find me on Facebook. Just look for Deacon Pedro. And you can follow me on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And now it's time for... What I Learned from My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome to, and this is, this is season number six. Season number six already. Oh my yes, goodness. I know, well, I congratulations, know. Congratulations, Pedro. Yeah, this is great. So good to have you back. And you now have four children. One I of them do. is... In Last we spoke, I had Inside Baby, but Inside Baby became Outside Baby. And it's Clara. Yeah, baby girl, Clara. Baby girl. So now we have Joseph, Henry, Annie, and Clara. That's right. And Joseph is full-time school. Yes, he's in grade one this year. How's that going? Uh, it's going. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking a bit of adjusting with the newborn and now school thrown into it. So he's going to grade one and Henry's in preschool. So two different schools on different days and lots of driving and scheduling and, and napping on the go for the little girls. And so we are slowly adjusting. And it's... Uh, me something about my kids and <laughs> my kids are teaching me some things too well that's good because that's what this whole segment is about <laughs> Thank goodness, this all works out um in the onslaught of papers that come home from your child's school at the beginning of the school year we had one that was a questionnaire um, just asking a few questions about joseph so that the teachers yes can get to know them better yes um so i had to do my homework and 
one of the questions was, uh, use three words to describe your child. Like, you could list mm-hmm. these three words. And, and as any parent does, <laughs> you're always on the lookout for your child's behavior. Yes. Is how are they behaving? How are they doing? Are they interacting properly with not just, not, not just in school, but anywhere and everywhere? Um, how they greet people and how they treat their brother and sister and those sorts of things. So I was horrified when I read that question, and the first three things that popped into my head were all negative, were all things that I am trying to get him to work on, or I'm working with him on to improve, you know, just how he, to become a better person, I guess. And I realized the teacher does not want to hear that, and I don't want to celebrate that, to to always have that on the top of my head, is the things that he needs to work on. What kind of terrible mother am I that the first three things I think of are all, he's a bit too bossy, he doesn't share very well, and he can be pretty disrespectful (laughs) sometimes. That's dreadful, because in fact, God created Joseph to be this very awesome, funny boy who has, he's very, he's clever, and like, I, I have so many things about him that I love and adore, so why on earth are those negative things popping into my head first. Yes. So I, I changed, my <laughs> changed my answer. I, by the way, had never written down the negative things. So I made my list of three things, not just for Joseph, but mentally made those lists of three things for all of my children and for myself because it's the same that we, that we do the same thing to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are always thinking about what we can improve upon. And it's important. You know, we all need work. But it's also good to celebrate who God made you to be and to embrace that and to present that and to work on it and, and to love that. Um, and so, yeah, do, uh, Joseph has taught me to look on the bright side of things and um, appreciate who it is that God created us to be. Absol- good things, not yeah. the naughty things. <laughs> yes. And uh, can I just tell you that I hated those questions because we got those <laughs> questions too. And it was like, really? And, and they'll, they'll do it uh, next year and they're in grade four and they're in grade six and in grade eight and they're still asking the questions. Can you <laughs> tell me about your child? And so, but the, the, what you need to do now is to just write three things for Henry. So when Henry goes to kindergarten, oh no, I guess, did you get the questions? In, uh, this is grade one. This is for grade one, yeah. But I think I was thinking, yeah, I'm pretty sure I said this you up probably, last yes, year, exactly. but I don't remember what I wrote. Yeah, just the same three things. He's funny, he's clever, and he shares really well. <laughs> okay, let me write that down for all of them. For all of them, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. He's he's got good hair. <laughs> he, he, he loves. I think you're thinking of yourself, Pedro. <laughs> no, yeah, he has no hair, and he loves ice cream. There you go. <laughs> oh, and he's in the background. This is Mr. Henry is right here. Joe, yes, Henry. Yeah. He's okay, so yeah. Jillian, thank you. Um, so the the message is that we need to. Not look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. That seems like a very positive and, and useful thing all the time. <laughs> Thank you, Jillian. Thank you. Jillian Cantor is the producer of the Salt and Light TV program, Mothering Full of Grace, and she's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, and Clara. Hey, Audrey Assad here from Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. Send us your comments via Facebook, facebook.com slash slradio1, or you can send me a tweet at Deacon Pedro GM. Now, in this program, we've spoken about a lot of other 
programs or series that would make good catechetical or evangelical series for parishes. We've talked about Chosen, the Confirmation uh, series, Catholicism 201. There's a Catholicism series of, by Robert Barron. Um, and now we want to tell you about this new one co-produced by our very own Sheridan Sanders. So Sheridan, the Church Alive what is The Church Alive? Um, the Church Alive is essentially a 13-part series which focuses on the new evangelization. For a lot of people, this is like evangelization, the new evangelization 101. This is okay. for the person who does not know, but know where to begin. So wait, so so new evan- what is the new evangelization? The new evangelization is basically how do you find the way to repropose Christ in today's environment in our context so every age has to find a way to transmit the essential good news that is jesus christ in a way that is accessible to the people of the day so that's what the new evangelization is how do we use the methods the 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 mediums and how do we retell our story with you know excitement and ardor right so this is you said there's 13 episodes um, or 13 half hours, uh, for the regular parishioner, does that mean that they will learn how to become new evangelizers? <laughs> like, how does it work? Well, essentially what it does is it picks up um, major themes coming out of Second Vatican Council. Okay. Because really, the Second Vatican Council is the first new evangelization. Pope uh-huh. Benedict called it the Magna Carta for the church today. So, yeah. if you're going to be out there evangelizing, you need to know what the church teaches. And right. this is a good way to brush up on what it is essentially the church is teaching in our context today. So we're taking the main themes and we're distilling them for you and we're, we're helping you to engage in discussion about these, these big um, documents that come out of the Second Vatican Council. And then we show you how that gets put into practice okay. um, in little uh, features that we do in, in stories. Like how it applies we, to my life. Exactly. So if, because most people I assume have not sat and read all the consular documents. The Unless documents. you're Sebastian Gomes. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and he's not normal. Um, so, so if I don't read the documents documents can I w- watch or do the series Absolutely. And then that's that's my cliff's notes. Yes, this is consider this your crib notes for the the, the the council documents and also what it what the new evangelization is today. So we, we go through all the major topics, you know, media, politics, what is uh, religious liberty today? How do we deal with interfaith dialogue? You know, what is the consecrated life? What are the challenges facing the consecrated life? The environment, always a big yes. issue. Um, and the role of the lady, you know, what is it that we're called to as the people of God um, coming out of the Second, Va- Second Vatican Council. Right. Okay. So you mentioned some of the sample topics. Um, it's not just three, 13 half hours of video, but it also there's a study guide. So yes. how does a study guide work? Okay. So this is t- a great resource for anyone who's an educator, a parish leader, or even just someone who wants to gather together a couple of people in their, you know, their home yeah. and to talk about these big issues. And, and what we've done is we've got um, profiles of the different popes. We've got discussion questions, application questions. We've got little tidbits on saints uh-huh. um, and how they revolutionized in their own times by being faithful to the gospel and uh-huh. some of the, the challenges that they had. And of course, we've got tons and tons and tons of extra um, resources for you for the reading. So I mean, we've got um, different encyclicals that you can 
you know, reference. Yeah. One thing about the church is that there isn't anything that hasn't already been discussed yes. by people who are eminently holier and smarter <laughs> than the rest than of, all us. of us. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, so so it's very uh, simple. People just need to get the the videos, the guide, show it, have the discussion. Yeah. You don't need to be a, a, a theologian. You don't need to be a Vatican II expert. So I'm, we're very, I don't know if you can tell, but Sheridan's very excited and I'm very excited. It's a, it's a great program. So it's called The Church Alive. That's right. It's a seven disc box set. And as we said, comes with a study guide. Everything you need for parish uh, or small group weekly study pro or however you want to do it, uh, study program. It sells for seventy four ninety five Canadian. But we're gonna give uh, our Salt and Light Hour listeners a special discount during the month of October. You can get the Church Alive for twenty percent off. So you can get all 13 half hours for just under $60. All you have to do is go to our online store and use the following promo code, ALIVE20. That's ALIVE20. ALIVE20. Just go to saltandlighttv.org slash store and using that promo code ALIVE20, you'll be able to get the church alive with a 20% discount. And if you forget that promo code, just send me a tweet and I'll, and I'll send it to you. So Sheridan, thank you. Um, Sheridan Sanders is a producer here at Salt and Light and a co-producer on, with Sebastian Gomes, who she mentioned, on this amazing new new evangelization series, The Church Alive. Coming up in our second half hour, the Folk Mass Revolution, and we catch up with Father Robert Gallia. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I think all of us remember the folk mass. We remember the songs. They'll know we are Christians and sons of God and the prayer of St. Francis. And some of you are probably still singing those songs at mass. And it's possible that some of your parishes still list one of your Sunday masses as the folk mass. But did you ever think where all that came from? How did we end up with all those songs? And why folk music? Well, to tell us more, I am now joined by the author of Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution, Ken Canedo. Ken, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Well, thank you, Pedro. It's a pleasure to be here. So for people who maybe have no clue what we're talking about, how would you define the folk mass? What is the folk mass? Well, the folk mass is the uh, term we use to describe the music uh, that came out shortly after the Second Vatican Council when the Mass changed from Latin to English. Okay. And the popular music at that time, in the early to mid-60s, was folk music, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Bob yeah. Dylan, the Kingston Trio. And that's the type of music that seized the imagination of young people across the English-speaking world and and uh, seminarians and, and sisters who were in their communities, communities at that time were influenced by the secular folk music and started writing sacred music, liturgical okay. music, to yeah. use in Mass. Okay, I, I, want, I want to ask you about some of those composers, but so let, just for people, again, who might not maybe remember or were not born yet, so the Mass went from being in Latin to English. There was no music in English for Mass, Right? Is that correct? Well, there was some music. Um, 
even during the Latin Mass days, we had some traditional English hymnody. Yeah. Uh, it was basically sung on the organ. And when the Mass changed to English, several Catholic publishers had uh, organ hymns ready to be sung by the American Canadian public. Um, yeah. But we did not sing. Choirs always sang for us back in the Latin days. So okay. even though there were some English hymns, we weren't singing. So that was part of the, the change that people went to Mass, but they didn't participate. Can I say that? And then all of a sudden um, they had to sing. Right. Um, participation for your average Catholic in the 1950s and 60s was just to be there, to kneel down, to pray, and let the priest uh, carry uh, most of the uh, liturgy himself. Yeah, right. Okay, now you mentioned, uh, and you mentioned the folk music, uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and those guys, um, and you think that then the folk liturgical music had its roots in the folk music, but you actually in the book say that it has its origins in Gregorian chant. Can you explain that? What do you mean? Yes, uh, yes. well, um, there was, I, I always like to say that because it catches people's ears, <laughs> but uh, the uh, original publishers of the folk mass music, uh, FEL, or Friends of the English Liturgy, yeah. Uh, there was a publisher there named uh, Dennis Fitzpatrick who specialized in English chant, and he was all set to uh, promote his company's versions of the Gregorian chant in English. He thought that would be the way. Yeah. And and uh, he himself was a great Gregorian chant scholar, wrote his own uh, versions of chant, but it didn't catch on. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's what, what I mean when I say it has its roots in Gregorian chant, because one of the major publishers himself was a Gregorian chant uh, composer right. and, and scholar. Yeah. Uh, so when it didn't catch on, he was trying to find other ways to uh, that his company could be profitable, and that's when he stumbled upon Ray Rep and... Uh, right. All the seminarians who are composing folk music for mass. So these were so people you mentioned Ray Ray Rep and maybe some music pastoral musicians might recognize the name because they've seen he's a composer. He was just some seminarian who was just happening to be writing music in the folk genre, not thinking that it would be used for mass. Is that how it was happening? Well, that's correct. Um, there was no idea, no mandate to young composers in, in the mid '60s write folk music for Mass. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Ray Rep was a seminarian uh, for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and he had just taken a Psalms class in 1962, yeah. right when the Vatican Council was going on. Yeah. And he was also a big fan of the Kingston Trio. Uh -huh. And so Ray Rep said, hey, what if we take the Kingston Trio style and set it to the Psalms, because he found out the Psalms, originally meant to be sung with a stringed instrument. Yeah. And that's when we started just experimenting with folk music styles with sacred text, not even dreaming of using it at Mass, because the Mass is still in Latin in 1962. Right. Now, I love the book, partly because I'm a, a, a liturgical musician as well, and I, and, but I can remember, you tell lots of great stories, maybe from your personal experience, can you share some some stories that you remember of that time period, maybe some horror stories about what was happening in liturgy, and maybe some <laughs> good stories. You know, um, I grew up in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, which at the time was uh, 
uh, very far behind as far as liturgical innovation. They were very far behind the other dioceses in the United States. So yeah. uh, they kind of went to English as the mandate was there in December 29, 1964. But as far as music and singing, at least in my parish where I grew up, um, it took a while mm-hmm. for uh, Los Angeles Church to uh, follow the trend, so to speak, if you want to call it that. For example, my church, they didn't, the priest was still facing the wall uh-huh. when he celebrated Mass. We really? didn't turn the altar around till, gosh, the 1970 or so. Uh-huh. Even, um, even though the Mass was so, in English? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were so we were behind. Um, yeah. But when we did catch up, we had to change pastors for that. Yeah. Uh, we started, I, the new pastor asked me to start a folk group, and uh, I did. And I had already been using much of this music because I was in a seminary at the time. Yes. Uh, at the seminary. And so it was like, um, you know, like a sponge. All the young people in my parish were like, oh, yeah, let's have more. And then I went back to school. I went back to seminary, and then I entrusted this to the young musicians. Now, when I came back, for Christmas vacation, I was horrified to find that they were singing Stairway to Heaven oh, <laughs> as yes. the preparation of the gifts. Yes. I said, what are you guys doing? And they go, oh, well, a song mentions heaven. And I thought, oh, no. Right. So they, were, they were enthusiastic. They were young. But they didn't have any kind of guidelines. Yeah, I think that a lot of that was, I remember Puff the Magic Dragon at Mass. And, and I think, uh, so, so, so there was a lot of change happening. All of a sudden, we needed new music. And there were no norms, like you said. So people didn't really know what they were doing in the church. Would you say had to sort of scramble to, to figure out new guidelines and new liturgical norms? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Nowadays, we have guidelines all over the place. Uh, yeah, from I the know. US bishops from the Canadian bishops back then, the bishops were caught by surprise by the folk mass movement. Yes, uh, I know. It's very hard to come up with ideas and guidelines. Yeah. Now, you've been a, a musician, I think it's fair to say, all your life. You're, a, you're a, 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 an accomplished liturgical composer. How would you say, I mean, looking at the liturgical music today and your music, how were you influenced personally by the folk mass? Well, I would say it was because of the folk mass that I picked up guitar. Uh-huh. Um, of course, I was, you know, a big fan of the Beatles, saw them on TV and the Ed Sullivan Show and all that. And yeah. That kind of kicked me into the idea of being a musician, but I never really picked up the guitar until I saw how easy, quote, unquote, it would be yeah. During folk mass, I saw fellow young people picking up guitar and playing at mass, and I thought, "Hey, I want to do that too." Yeah, and it was fun. So that's how that's. I would say definitely the folk mass influenced me to be uh, a guitarist, uh, and I was already at church organ, so I had that background, and mm-hmm. also influenced me to consider writing songs for mass, be a composer. Definitely, the folk yeah. mass is very influential in all that. Yeah, I think I should mention to our listeners, in case they have n- not, not quite sure who Ken Canedo is, because maybe they know Bob Hurd, and they know the Mass of Glory, which, which is a great setting. It's too bad that there's now a new translation, and I'm waiting for the, the Mass of Glory new adaptation to the new translation, because that was such a great setting. Um, oh, thank you. Um, uh, it, one last question. This book really looks at the beginning of the folk mass, the revolution, as you call it, the movement, but it only kind of goes up until the, 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 the early 70s. Is this going to be the first of a series of books as we look at the, uh, the history? Well, you could say that. Um, I am actually in the process of writing the sequel now. Good. 
and it will cover the 70s, and I'm already in the process of com of interviewing composers from that era, the St. Louis Jesuits, for example. Great, I can't wait. Uh, and also John Michael Talbot, I've interviewed them. And so yes. uh, I'm busy writing that book now. It's such a big story, I couldn't tell it all in one book. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. it. It's fascinating, like I said. Definitely, if you're a parish musician, a liturgical musician, you should read this book. If you're not, if you're just a parishioner, you should read this book. If you're a priest, you should read this book. If you're a liturgist, everybody should read this book because it not only explains where the music came from, but it also explains a lot of what was happening in terms of the church and the time period and the changes with, with liturgy. I, 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 fascinating. Ken, thank you for writing the book. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for all your music. And thank you for speaking with us today. Uh, thank you, Deacon Pedro. It was my pleasure. Ken Canedo is a liturgical composer and the author of Keep the Fire Burning, the Folk Mass Revolution. He is also the voice behind the popular weekly liturgy podcast, and he writes frequently for today's liturgy magazine and for ministry and liturgy magazine. Um, his website, you can learn more about what he does, uh, kencanedo.com. That's Canedo with a C, but I'll put that link on our site so you can find it easily. His book, Keep the Fire Burning, is published by Pastoral Press, and you can purchase it at Oregon Catholic Press, ocp.org, and also at Amazon. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Father Robert Gallia, with Song of Love from his album, Reach Out. and valley 
That was Father Robert Gallia with Song of Love from his album Reach Out. Father Robert Gallia has been a guest in many of our programs numerous times on television and on this program, The Salt and Light Hour. This past summer, he was in Canada, and so we took the opportunity to catch up with him while he was here. He has a few new projects on the go. So here is my conversation with Father Robert Gallia. Rob, so good to have you back in Canada. Um, For people who are just seeing you for the first time, hearing about you for the first time, you're a priest. You're from Malta, but you're in Australia. How did that all come about? That's right. And first of all, Pedro, great to be here and always a pleasure to to come to Salt and Light. Um, That's right. I live in Australia. I live in a place called Shepparton, Australia, which is close to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And I have lived in Australia for eight years. I decided to um, moved to Australia while I was a seminarian um, on the invitation of the bishop then, the late Bishop Joe Grech, uh, just to be able to work to serve in a, in a country town. So, for example, I come from a diocese which has um, 45 parishes and about 20 active priests. Mm-hmm. And, um, and before that, I lived in Malta. So most of my life I've lived in the small island of Malta where all my family are um, today. So in Malta, there are lots of that. That parish that you sorry, the diocese you're talking about is in Australia. That's correct. So they don't have enough priests in Malta. There are lots of priests. That's uh, that compa- comparatively yes. Yes. So you're incarnated in your diocese, or are you technically doing mission? Are you a missionary so priest? What, what we say is that I'm on loan to on the Santa's diocese. Yes. So, but you finished your seminary studies in Melbourne. But you were ordained in Malta. That is correct. <laughs> I, went, I, got, I got a trip to Malta to, to get ordained and then I flew back. So I was uh, only home for a few weeks getting ordained by the Archbishop of Malta. And then on loan. Then, then um, on loan, yeah. And you're in a parish. That's right. So I work in a, a large parish, um, about 75,000 people. Mm-hmm. And um, about 25% of those are Catholic. And we... Um, and so, so I serve there in um, chaplain to about um, 2,500 students and also six retirement homes, believe it or not, and, right, yeah, yeah. and um, two hospitals. And I live and work in the parish for eight months a year. Okay. And then three months a year I tour, so I work. Because you're, okay, um, and I want to talk about that, but wait, so go back, because you said there's 45 parishes, 20 priests. You're alone in your parish? No, I'm with another priest. So how we look after three parishes. Ah, okay. So you, you have to. So there's a lot of traveling. Yes, there is. So each parish is about forty kilometers away. Okay. And so we look after three parishes that way. And now, is this diocese? I'm sorry. What's the diocese? Sandhurst. And is it considered a mission diocese? No, it isn't. So Australia has been taken off um, the missionary list. So even though you don't have enough priests, it's still yes. technically not. Yeah. Technically, you can handle it, basically. Uh, (laughs) In theory. (laughs) In theory. Okay, so you're busy. Yeah, quite busy. And I look after the youth ministry in our diocese as well. So we had a program called Stronger. Stronger, yes. And we can talk about that too. So you're busy. Your bishop still lets you, allows you to To go off for three months to tour to to do your music. Yes, that's right. Why? Um, look, I think it's um, part of what I did. I used to tour and I used to um, speak at um, youth events even before I was ordained. So what I do is um, I'm a recording artist, so I write music, I record music, but I also I speak at youth conferences. Yes. Over the last three years, for example, by the grace of God, I've had the opportunity to speak to over 200,000 young people. Yes, and so I go from youth conference to youth conference and parishes and I go around and I speak mm-hmm. just to help people understand, even from my own background, 
You know, I come from a place when I was 16, where I was suicidal, I was lost, yes. I was confused, and I found grace, I found God, I found hope. And so this is what I'm passionate about, is to just help young people understand that there is hope and there is a God there that loves them. So your bishop understands that that work is just as important as parish work? Yeah, it's a, it is an apostolate, mm -hmm. you know, just like a, a person who works in a parish, a priest who works in a parish and goes to a university to lecture. Yes. So it's pretty much the same thing, mm -hmm. except I go around the world to lecture. Yes. And it's really two months um, of uh -huh. um, travel and then one month which I get a holiday, which I use, I utilize um, a lot of the time to, to travel right. and to speak. Right, so that's what you're doing right now. You were in Europe, in England. Yes. Now you're in Canada, and then you're going to be on your way to India. That's correct. Now, I'm one of the things that you've been doing when you travel is you, because you're also into multimedia, doing some video work. That's correct. If people go to your website or your YouTube channel or your Facebook page, there's all these links to these little videos that you make. That's correct. Yes. Often while you travel. Right? Yes, you see, because uh, um, the thing is, one of my passions is to help even, um, I think, is to disciple young people. Uh -huh. You know, it's not only to evangelize. Uh, evangelization is important, but there's also the importance of balancing mission and maintenance, you see. Okay. So I'm, I'm a missionary, but also I, I need to look after the sheep that are already there. So, yes. the, so what I do is I use social media in particular to, to continue that relationship while I'm away. Okay with these young people, in particular young people, but everyone. For example, I create a, um, a travel video while I'm away, yeah. which is done professionally, in like a yeah. film company type of thing, um, uh, to keep in um, contact with, with these young people, but also giving a message. Giving a message of, for example, I just released a, a short video with the help of Adi Indra, a, a seminarian. Yes. And we recorded this video and we released, we edited it, put it together. And the message is, for example, the importance of staying connected with a community. Okay. Okay. I explained sort of, look, I'm all over the place, but at the end of the day, my source of strength is Jesus. And the source of strength that I find most um, fulfilling and m most important is, is Jesus found in the community. And that's in the, the parish. parish. Yeah. That's correct. Um, stronger. Mm. That's a youth program for yes. the diocese? How does it work? So, um, I, as I said, I come from a diocese called Santos. Now, Santos is uh, like um, four and a half hours, even five hours across, uh -huh. and, and driving at 110 kilometers per hour. <laughs> so, um, not speeding. Not speeding, that's right. <laughs> so it's a, it's a large diocese and it's, um, and let's say from one parish to another, you can travel 50 kilometers and not Nothing. see anything, you know? Really? So there's, it's, uh, you have a lot of big towns, but they're very far from each other. And we come, you come to Australia and there are no young people in the church. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing, and to the geographical distance. So um, one thing that I wanted to do was I started a, a, a retreat, a, a weekend, and where we gathered young people. And every year we used to have this retreat. Um, and this I started while I was a seminarian. And then we continued these retreats, but we thought we needed something more. So we started rallies, um, like outreach rallies that moved around the diocese. Mm. So every deanery in the diocese would get um, a day of rallies. So we have music, praise and worship, we have a teaching, we have a discussion as well. And then um, the importance of in-parish discipleship. So we started a thing called discipleship groups. Uh -huh. So those start and those are reaching out to, to young people within a parish setting. Right. For example, our parish, we had no young people, hardly any young people. Now we have 
about 12 Eucharistic ministers under the age of 18 who are discipled, who love right. Jesus and want to serve the church. That's so great. that's what one success story. Right. So I run that around the diocese as well in sort of my free time. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure you have lots of free time. So I'm intrigued by the whole, the, the whole balance between what you said, you know, evangelization and maintenance. So, right. so we can evangelize, you cast the net, bring them in, but then you have to have something to support them and form them. Yes. And that's what you're seeing, that that's a result. Yeah. And in that the is formation. the most important and the hardest thing to do for me. Yeah. You know, it's easy for me to oh, stand you have on to a walk stage. with them, yeah. Yeah. But to, to sit and walk with these young people, and I think youth ministry in particular is one of the most rewarding ministries, but one of the most heartbreaking yes. ministries, because you, you, you're feeding um, the, these young people, and then all of a sudden they go back into their old yeah. habits. They decide, hey, they cannot commit anymore. It's and it's very heartbreaking. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's something I, I'm yeah. passionate about. Yeah, no, or there's nothing, there's nothing there for them when they come back. Yeah. So would you say that the music is a way to reach out, no pun intended, yeah. you know, to reach out, yeah. but then there's got to be something else there. Yes. So you're doing... Yeah, and, and this is a thing, like people say, ah, oh, we need good music, that's why you have young people, because you have good music. Well, I totally disagree with that. M good music is important. Yes. But yeah, um, good music is not going to bring young people to church. It will, um, it can help them pray to be able to stay there, but it's, it, at the end of the day, they're going to get, they're going to find better music in the clubs. Mm -hmm. They're going to find better music out there. So mm -hmm. it's not about the music, it's about the whole. I think the most important thing when it comes to youth ministry is that sense of community, that sense of belonging, that sense of being loved within a community and not being judged and condemned. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about the music a little bit because that's, that's what you're doing right now. Um, two new albums coming that's out. That's correct. One in September 2014. Yep. And the next one will come out probably mid-2015. So the one that's coming out in September 2014, uh, something about you, that's the yes. acoustic album. Yes. Just so that's you and a guitar. Unplugged. That's correct. No, not really. There's, I have a cello. Okay, so a it's cellist. acoustic. Oh, sorry. Acoustic, it's a, it's yes. sort of it's acoustic, but it's unplugged. Let's yes. We'll call it that. Nice. And um, it's a laid-back album. It's called Something About You, as in God, and um, Something uh -huh. About God. And it talks about um, the, w what God means to, to the people I've been working with over the last three years in a nice. parish. Good. So, and people can find more about that on your website, fatherrob.com, and it's going to be distributed in North America by GIA. GIA, Records. that's correct. GIA. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, GIA Records will distribute it around here, and then I have another album. Yes. So is, tell me. Tell it's me. The different. Dance. Okay. Go ahead. Very different album, and, <laughs> and this might cause some controversy as well. So, I got together with only that. if you get up and dance. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, I'm, I'm working with a dance company. Yes. So I'm working with a company called the Ministry of Sound, which is, um, they have a lot of dance songs. It's a big company in, in Sydney, Australia. And so I'm working with them to release a dance album. Now, the dance cult culture is a culture which is massively um, I inundated with, with drugs and sex and, and a, a, a lot of negativity, sort uh -huh. of putting people down and objectifying women and yes. things like that. So. I thought, man, we need to do something to, to get a positive message out there. So I'm going to release this album, which is a really doof, doof, like full-on So like dance. techno dance. Yeah, uh, as, as far as it goes, you know, nice. but, but with a, a positive message. But you can't um, use it in liturgy. No, I don't recommend. <laughs> I don't even recommend it in your meditation. No. But if you're driving, but if you um, want to dance, in the car, get pumped up. Yeah, why not? Good message music. Yes, it's a good message music. It talks about prayer. It's there's even a sort of a praise and worship aspect nice. to it. 
but at the same time, if someone listens to it in a club, it doesn't necessarily give that so religious feel, but right. it gives that um, positive. So image. you can infiltrate. Yes, it even has it has scripture verses in some <laughs> of it. So they'll be quoting the the scripture, and, and then they will know. And it. Then they open their Bible the next week, and they say, "Oh, I heard that in the club." And you think, "Oh, yeah. the Bible got it from that yeah, techno." That's it. Yeah. Um, and the, but the album doesn't have a name yet. So not yet. Do, no. do you need people to send in name name suggestions? Yeah, if you'd like to send in a <laughs> suggestion, you can just go to fatherrob.com. Send me an email. I'm very okay, happy. Yeah. Dance, dance, dance with Father Rob is already <laughs> taken. Can't use it. Okay. Um, Father Rob, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you. Um, hope you're enjoying yourself in Canada. Um, and again, you can find out more about the work that Father Rob is doing all over the world and in his home diocese in Australia, fatherrob.com. Thank you so much, Father. Thanks so much for being here. God bless. That was a conversation I had with Father Robert Gallia in our Salt and Light studios in Toronto earlier this summer. Here now is Father Rob with the title track of his album, Reach Out. Little girl, why are you running away? So far from all that you know is true What has the world done to you? You get up, only to find that you're crushed again Beneath the weight of your loneliness There is a way if only you would try listening to Father Robert Gallia's song, Reach Out, from the album of the same name. And that will take us to the end of the program. Next week, we're giving away a copy of Ken Canedo's book, Keep the Fire Burning, The Folk Mass Revolution. Just go to our website, saltonlighttv.org radio, and look where it says, stay connected for a chance to win weekly prizes. Enter your name and email address for a chance to win. Also, you can send us a comment on our Facebook page or send me a tweet, at Deacon Pedro GM and I'll be sure to enter you into the draw. Also, remember the exclusive offer to Salt and Light Hour listeners of a 20% discount to the series, The Church Alive. Go to our online store at saltandlighttv.org and use the promo code ALIVE20. That's ALIVE20. That offer is valid for the whole month of October. If you can't remember the promo code, send me a tweet and I'll give it to you. Next week... We'll be getting an update on the Synod on the Family by Salt and Light's Sebastian Gomes, who is in Rome, and we'll be meeting singer-songwriter Luke Spihar. So you don't want to miss that show. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour.